Mike Jack 1212 to the big Joe. What's up, what's up, what's up? Jack Marcotte. Thank you for joining me again on another OEM Sessions. Today you're going to hear a conversation that I had down in Tucson with Ellen Noble. Beginning of the year, I guess it would be end of January, beginning of February. And uh, I wanted to wait until she did her announcement, and she just recently did. She's going to be doing a privateer thing for cyclocross and mountain bike racing, uh, sponsored with Velocio and Trek. Uh, amongst others, you can follow her online. Make sure you look in the description below and be able to look through all of uh, the social media stuff that she's going to be putting up, which, as we talk about, I think she's got a great personality and she does a really good job with interacting with people online and is very open about small things going on as well as big things. And one of those big things that we talk about, because a lot of the things that I've uh sought out to share with people. I'm looking for a specific type of issues that a lot of people, I want to say, struggle with or are um, going through. Ellen was very open with help uh, sharing her story to be able to help others because she you know, says it herself that she's learned through others that uh, being open and sharing their struggles online or in person and why shouldn't she be doing the same, you know? So we talk about some of the things that she may have overlooked or wasn't looking at in the beginning. And, and now that she's working through those, I really am excited for what she's going to be able to do in the future here. And um, yeah, so she's, she's a super sweet gal and she's got a, a really nice uh, personality and, and good reason why she's doing all of this stuff. So I'm going to let you enjoy the conversation I had with her, and then we'll catch you on the flip side. Um, well, I, I, don't, maybe, I don't know. Now that you're asking me to talk, I feel like... <laughs> I clearly am. I basically have to be in the mic. Okay. It's so weird. Okay, so let's get it going here. All right, sounds so good. So we're afternoon, Tucson, Dirty Tea, mm-hmm. here with Ellen Noble. Hello. Um, what did you do today, Ryan? I didn't ride today. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's my last day of off-season. Oh, really? So yeah. So you really enjoyed it. So yeah. what did you do? Uh, well, I finished wallpapering the kitchen, which sounds <laughs> weirder than it is. It's still weird. Anyway, then I went and I got lunch with my boyfriend and did some stuff just to get ready for training tomorrow, and now I'm doing a podcast with you there you go so you're getting ready for the next season yeah okay so yeah when does this start uh racing training starts. training starts tomorrow and then racing starts it's kind of tbd it's like there are some races i could do in march but i'm really like hoping to be racing well in april mm-hmm. so how did you even get started racing bikes where are you from I uh, grew up in Maine. Both my parents. You know, I've never been up northeast, man. What's that Se- like? Like never ever. Mm-mm. Oh my god, Mm-mm. it's I mean, I guess amazing. I technically went into New York for a hot minute to see my brother and his wife, but that's just no. Even, New York is is. Yeah, I no, mean, unless I was upstate. Technically, New York is not the northeast. Oh okay, well, not really. Well, I guess I mean. All right, I guess the northeast would be New England, and then the Mid Atlantic, which I think. New New York, it's like kind of its own thing. Anyway, really, New England is where you got to go. Okay. And so I grew up in Maine, and then I lived in Massachusetts for six years. So I really spent my whole life there. I'm going to Google as we look at this. I want yeah. to know the uh, – I feel pretty horrible that I don't know the geography here okay. on Maine and Massachusetts. Maine is the northeast – is the most northeast corner yeah, I of – Yeah, that. All right, I'm yeah. I'm trying to figure out where Massachusetts is. Oh, it's right there. Yeah, they used to be connected like hundreds of years ago. Oh, okay. they, it, it was all just one big mess. So tell me about the snow up there. <clears throat> oh, my God. <laughs> Especially in Maine. I'll um, show you where I'm from. Real quick. All right. Hot minute. So we're looking at Google here. So you are Maine up here. Mm-hmm. I am right here. Wait, are you also Wisconsin? No, that's Upper Michigan. Michigan. Okay, right well, the, the phone was turned. I feel kind of oh, dumb, sure, sure. but... All right, yeah. Michigan. Okay. And so we're basically, is that the latitude or longitude? Latitude. We're basically the same latitude. Yeah. So what kind of snowfall would you be getting up there? Mm, pretty heavy. When I was home for Christmas this year, we got hit with like a couple of feet. Um, it's interesting because I grew up like right on the coast, like a mile from the beach. So depending on where the storms come from, I mean, I'm sure you know this, like with lake effect snow and stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like either if it comes from 
the coast, like you get hammered, but sometimes it'll die down by the time it makes it to us. So mm-hmm. it's, it was pretty interesting. It was always like, kind of, you like rolled the dice with how hard you were going to get hit with a storm, but we had so much snow growing up and I love sure, it. It was about 10, 15 miles inland is mm-hmm. where like the snow dump would happen. Right. Mm, I don't know. I'm not like, that's for us off of Lake Superior. Yeah. It was like, it was yeah. About that. Yeah. I don't know. All I know is sometimes we would get it and sometimes we would just miss it. And we always felt like we were so lucky to miss it. <laughs> did you snowmobile? Did you ski? Did you do what snow sports? I did I did like everything growing okay. up. But um, snowboarding, like a lot when I was a kid. I skied a little bit, but I was a snowboarder really. And do you have big hills there? I mean, Yeah, I mean, nothing like Mount Lemon or anything. But we had like a couple of ski mountains that we would go to every weekend, especially Sunday River for anyone who knows so the area. So you got snowboarding and not the downhill skis? Uh, yeah, I snowboarded. I also Nordic skied a lot. That was like kind of my skate or across or skate because I also played hockey. So skate skiing was was so natural. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I did everything like quintessential Maine. I worked at a lobster shack. I snowboarded, skied, surfed, everything. And then, so now have you been here in the fall? Mm-hmm. And then just zero colors, essentially, compared to Maine. Yeah. Like that's a different fall experience. Yeah. Right? This was the first year of my life where I missed the foliage back home. It was kind of sad. Tucson, I mean, like, yes, it gets hotter, but really, it's like one season year-round. Like, aside from the temperature, it almost, it, to me, it looks the same almost Yeah, you'll get a little area. sprinkle of foliage or like the the flowers on the cactus yeah. and stuff occasionally when you have to you be like really some... looking though it's hard to miss the foliage back home but oh for sure especially in the, the winter did mm-hmm. you or sorry the fall did you like or dislike this is what i did not like was the transitions of the um seasons like i guess i hated 35 to 45 in rain yeah on either end of that spring mm-hmm. or fall I think Tucson's made me soft. Like I've spent enough, I had spent enough time here before I moved here that I like <laughs> the last couple of months, like that I spent at home and it was cold. I, I had like no patience for it, but before I was, um, I don't know. I actually don't mind the rain. So I don't know when it was like 45 plus, like, I mean, it's what we have in Belgium. It's what we had mm. in Massachusetts, but yeah, being here and having the sunshine every day is really nice, but I love the rare rainy days that we get. It just feels so so nice it's not good really for training but like my i just love living in the rain i think like when i retire i think i could see myself being very happy in new england year-round okay yeah it makes sense so did you well especially because you grew up there i have a fondness for me growing up in a very small town i think that's awesome for raising a family because you're sort of sheltered from chaos and exposure to too much too early and whatever but um how did you so do you have family like brothers and sisters that were Mm -hmm. doing the same stuff or uh, no, I have a really like kind of strange family. I have three older siblings and they all do like kind of their own weird creative stuff. Um, my sister's a professional hip hop dancer. Mm. Um, my brother builds skateboard parks and formerly had a sled dog racing team. And my other brother is a writer and a chef. So we have, we have quite the mix in the noble house. <laughs> that is awesome. So what yeah. kind of sled dog stuff? I know there's one that comes through where we grew up. In Michigan? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what that I can't think of. I that. don't know like any particular races that he did, but there was like I think that he did a lot of stuff in Canada just okay. because it's so easy to get there from Maine. Mm-hmm. Um but it also meant that we're talking about winter sports, so obviously sled dog racing was something I did growing up. I was around the dogs, but we did um ski joring, mm-hmm. which is like cross country skiing and then there's cane across and bike joring and Obviously, they're all just doing running, biking, and uh, skiing with the dog, like, attached to a harness. So is that what gets you onto the bike, or where do you... No, I've been... Oh, I guess, yeah, we kind of digress from that, but I... Yeah, my parents raced, like, when they were... When they were... My dad's, like, always kind of been a cyclist, and then my... He got my mom into it when they first met, and then my mom just, like, totally thrived in it. She was an endurance runner and then came into cycling, and they were... They're both just, like, incredible, so... Um, yeah, it was pretty obvious for me to get on the bike when I was like four or five and started racing. Did your siblings? They all tried it, but no one ever really stuck with it. Mm-hmm. Like it, they just didn't click with it like I did. Yeah. And then is it a pretty good scene? I know a cyclocross in the Northeast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, mountain biking, I think has changed a lot. I think that it's probably better now, but there was like a pretty big contingent of it in the northeast when i was growing up um but i think that there are a lot more resources for young racers now like 
I was just doing the adult races by the time I was like seven or eight because Mm -hmm. there was nothing for young kids. Not like there are now with like cub races and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, so how did you find like, I've asked this for most of the people who are, have competed and had success at the highest level. How do you, how do you dig so deep? Like what's motivating you? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think for a long time I was just like kind of on autopilot. Like I just wanted to win kind of to win because it was cool. And like, I've just always been very competitive and I never really thought about like what my why was like why I needed to push beyond just like the fun aspect of going hard, I guess. Like, why does anyone do it? Um, but then, you know, like, obviously I think like life gets harder as you get older and like more things come up and more things challenge you. Um, and so I think like for me, not obviously, but like the main like motivator for me has been my dad's passing, uh, in 2012. And like, he was just like such a huge part of my career at a young age. And he was like, I mean, not that my mom didn't believe in me, don't get me wrong, but my dad absolutely believed in me more than anyone. Um, and he like saw something in me that I don't think other people like saw beyond just like a talented 12 or 13 year old that he really saw like a rear, a real career with me. So for me, I just think about like how inspired I was by my dad and his life and also his battle with cancer. And I try to think like, man, if my dad was going to you know, fight through cancer and like try to come out stronger than I can try to fight through this race. Mm-hmm. It makes it seem, um, a lot more simplistic. Yeah. And you want to honor him by. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Felt he, th- he thought he, you could do. Yeah. Yeah. He thought I could do anything. And so I can't quite give up on that yet. <laughs> mm-hmm, no doubt. Yeah. Well, that's very sweet and you definitely are doing that. So, Thank you. um, so, so how do you make it to the level that you're at with cross, I mean, how does that progress? How do you find the teams? Like, where does that come into play? Yeah, it's it's funny. I I feel like I get that question all the time, like, about, like, the development pipeline and stuff. And I think that there are a lot more resources now for juniors, which is so great. Like, I mean, there's a junior world championships happening tomorrow for the first time ever in cyclocross for women. But when I was young, I honestly just feel like it was – not luck, but like I just raced. I just like did the thing that I wanted to do and happened to have people that like saw my potential that could help me get somewhere. So like one of the first like real teams that I was on that like made a big, that was like a big step for me was joining the Trek Cyclocross Collective, which I did in 2012. So I was riding for a shop team that was a Trek bikes store and they found out about the Trek CXC and it was like kind of nomination based um, because like I don't like Trek bikes. I didn't know who Ellen Noble was at 14 in Maine, but the shop was able to tell them about me and they like researched me and put me on the team. And so like if it hadn't been for my friend Pete who managed the shop who like thought that I had a lot of potential, you know, getting on the CXC, which led to me getting on the jam fund and they put so much energy into developing me and helping me like kind of hone in on my skills, you know, like it just, so so you're talking about like on the bike skills and maneuvering obstacles and turns and stuff and then training as well as possible or what? what Yeah. I mean like, yeah, like literally working on my skills, but also just like I had never trained before. Mm. Like, I mean, I was, yeah, I think that's like sort of overlooked. Like no matter what, if you just start exercising a lot Mm -hmm. and consistently, you're going to get fitter. And then there's going to be the exposure of what you haven't been working on. Is it endurance? Is it high level? Is it, you know, an imbalance in your body? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, like I said, I did every sport under the sun growing up. And there was a point when I first started racing cross that I was on the varsity hockey team varsity running team and also competing every weekend for cyclocross and I had three individual coaches and none of them knew about the other sport so I was doing three sports at once which was like if we're talking about health and wellness and everything that if we could go back like (laughs) I did I did a bad thing (laughs) that was like not so there was all at the same time yeah Mm. yeah because my hockey I guess it wasn't I mean like I was on the varsity hockey team but the team that I was training on at the time was like a main state 
girls team. And so it was like not through the school. Also cycling wasn't through the school. And then I was running for my school. So it was like, you know, I was doing like two to three practices a day and, um, ended up like having to go to the hospital. Cause I was like, so severely fatigued. Like my resting heart rate was like 120 oh my God. while I was sleeping, like just crazy, crazy stuff. So the point of that is I was always sometimes maybe too in shape at, you know, 16, 17. And so for me to like, when I joined the jam fund in college, that was like a huge moment for me. Cause I actually had to like, I wasn't doing enough, enough other sports to keep me in shape. I was just cycling at that point. Um, cause I decided to like really just pursue a career in cycling and I ended up having to actually train and like do intervals and like be specific and like have intention with what mm. I was doing. And it, uh, it was a really hard transition for me. And so like, yeah, that's something I'm talking about, like working on my skills of just like being organized, focused, on focused and like, yeah, quite literally working on skills too. Yeah. But, I'm always interested in that. Like the, the like something like that falling through the tra- uh falling through the cracks where mm-hmm. you are not necessarily allowed, but you end up being burnt out. Like, how does yeah. that happen? I'm watching in, if you follow, you know, the like world cup cross country skiing, mm-hmm. some, some athletes have been pulled by their um, federation because they're, you know, too light. So clearly they're mm-hmm. not eating enough for the training right. and stuff. And so you don't really see that in a lot of other sports where they're getting pulled because they're not healthy because mm-hmm. they're just putting them out there to perform and yeah. expose them. So I, I think that's pretty interesting. And I'm looking for those organizations or teams or sponsors or whatever that would say, whoa, Ellen, pump the brakes. I know you want to do all the three of these, but mm-hmm. it's this is the road to burnout. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think my, my cycling coach, Al, like we've been working together since I was 14, I think he, uh, when he found out about what was going on, he was like, Oh my God, if I had known, you know? Mm, And so like he, he's been so, so, so vital in my career to like help me not do that kind of stuff. And I don't know, like I can't think of an example in cycling with like a specific athlete or sponsor where they're like, okay, this is like, dangerous but I know that you know like this year myself and several other trek athletes like on trek factory racing had like health problems that they were working through and trek was really supportive of us not just like not just racing because we had to like I mean I did so few races this year because I was sick and they weren't like well you need to show up anyway they were like well to me the way I like this is that they're supporting you because Ultimately, there's probably some people buying truck bikes or what mm-hmm. any company buying tires, buying, you know, uh, components that could be going through the same thing. So yeah. if they have a platform where they can show how you've pulled yourself out of it and mm-hmm. look at that, I mean, I think that's really beneficial. This is partly yeah. why I'm doing this, because mm-hmm. ultimately, if I can have more people healthier, mm-hmm. how many more miles are they logging and how many more mm-hmm. bikes do they get to buy or you know change that they go through i mean i think this is important for people to hear and not just make the same choices as you get off on the same exit and yeah. same and you know get to the same dead end yeah. and not wonder where they could have stayed on the right track yeah absolutely and that's kind of why i've always tried to be like pretty open about whatever i'm going through if it's like a big deal or a small deal um just because i feel like i've had some good luck like kind of reading about other people's experiences and being able to navigate my own like a little bit more carefully and i hope that yeah hopefully someone else or multiple people are able to do the same so mm-hmm. yeah well let's go to uh jam fund here so yeah. like north northeast cat jeremy um, mm-hmm. so he said this is a, a this is where you i feel like you really took off underneath mm-hmm. that tutelage and then probably with the training more mm-hmm. specifically yeah. so tell me about those years yeah i mean the jam fund years were like some of the most important in my career but also some of the best I just, I love that team. I love all those people. I mean, they're my family and I had no idea (laughs) what I was signing up for when I joined the team. I was just kind of like at a point where like, I knew that I needed a little bit more day-to-day help than I was able to get on like kind of a national grassroots team and jam kind of stepped in and they were like listen here's how we're going to do it we want you to join us we want you to go to umass i know you were considering going anyway i think that this is going to be really good for you so i ended up joining jam and i just didn't 
I think like so many people like aspired to be on jam and have like, you know, moved from different parts of the country to train with this team. And I had no clue. I mean, I was so ignorant to like, but were you also focused on school? Yeah. So you maybe didn't realize what you were getting yeah. into with that. Yeah. I mean, I just, and I no, I, I'm I'm not trying to like, um, talk crap about the team. I'm saying like, I had no idea how hard they invest in their riders mm-hmm. Like I, I just thought that it was going to be another team that I'd get to ride with. Sometimes I had no idea like how comprehensive their development was like riding with a teammate every day and having a coach that like you interacted with, like that you had actual right. FaceTime uh, with yeah, every it, day. It doesn't come across that you're saying it that way. It yeah. comes across like, wow, I didn't realize how professional this organization yeah. was and that I'm a part of it. Yeah. I had no idea. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll join your team, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up, you know, ended up being like kind of the direction that it like really put my career on a different trajectory. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was on the jam fund for two years and me continuing to be kind of oblivious to the whole thing. Had no idea that Jeremy was working to sign me after my second year on aspire or on my second year on the jam fund. And cause I remember talking to him, I was like, I just don't know if I can find a team. I like kind of want to try to go pro next year, blah, blah. And I just remember him rolling his eyes. He's like, you know, I'm trying to sign you, right? I'm just trying to get the pieces in place to add another rider. And I was like, really? No way. And so I think at that point I started to like pay a little bit more attention to the things going on around me. And so I was able to kind of extend that development going from the jam fund to aspire racing because it was basically like the big brother program of jam was to go on to aspire. Um, and yeah, that, I was still able to stay in East Hampton and work with Al and the jam fund all the time. Like my development wasn't done, even though I was racing at a really high level, I still felt like there was so much more that I wanted to learn. So yeah, it was a really incredible four years with them. Mm -hmm. That's pretty sweet. So in school, what were you doing? I studied public health. Hmm. So are you going to be using that along with what you're doing right now? Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Right now I'm not doing much of anything with it except for... (laughs) paying on the loans, but I, I love it. I mean, it was so much fun to study it in school and like get to learn about it. And one of my dreams is after I retire to go back and get my master's and really like throw myself into something. What really makes you, what's it, what's so interesting about it for you? I just think like, I mean, similar to kind of what we were talking about before we started recording is like, you want to be able to like help people live healthier lives And I feel like I love working with people and I love, I really do love helping people. Just like it does get like selfishly, it gives me a great amount of satisfaction to know that I did something that makes someone's life better. So like, this is really strange, but um, my summer job for a long time was cleaning houses and cleaning isn't inherently fun, but knowing that like someone could come home and see that their house is cleaner and feel better about it made me happy and knowing that you know with like a little bit of education someone could move happier and without pain or could eat better without distress or could just live a better longer life um and a more educated life makes me really happy and I think yeah I just want everyone to feel as good as I've felt at certain points in my life Sure. so let's yeah. say the jam and aspire they've allowed you to thrive and you mm-hmm. know that their choices s- supported that. And then you yeah. come home and your mother has your room clean and you're like, that's oh a great God. feeling. So yeah. When I lived at home and my mom would clean my room, it was the most amazing feeling in the world. Cause I think she, she liked doing that. And then I learned it from her and my, my dad's whole mission when he was alive was building skateboard parks in towns to like give kids a place to go. Like that was his whole thing is like, if you can give kids a place to go, they're going to stay away from things that they shouldn't be doing. Like give them a place to just be themselves. And like, that was his whole mission, his entire life since he was 18 years old, he's been building parks to like give kids that are kind of misunderstood something to do and to tire themselves out with and to interact with other kids. And so I think about like, it's a pretty, it's a pretty simplistic mission and you can do it a thousand different ways. Mm -hmm. So I haven't really figured out what my mission is going to be just yet or how I'm going to do it. But right now with, the uh the quest that I run like the summer camp that I do I feel like at the very least it's seven days of my year that I'm putting towards at least giving some young women the tools that I've been given as well Mm -hmm. 
So let's say, let's talk about cyclocross racing at the top level. Yeah. Um, some of the events that you've done that you really enjoyed. Give me some of those. Mm. You know, because some of the venues are amazing. Mm-hmm. And then some of the courses are awesome, but nobody's there. Like what? Yeah. Oh my God. There are so, there are so many good ones. Um, I think I'm biased for a few of them. Like races that I've done that I've done really well at i obviously (laughs) like um very relevant i think like bayo luxembourg was huge the host of the world championships in 2017 where i finished second but it was incredible because it snowed so it was like icy and terrifying and everyone hated it but i just loved that course i thrived with like how much precision you had to have to ride it like if you got greedy you would like lose it all which I literally did. It was what lost me the race, but, um, I just, I loved like the challenge of it. It felt like, like surgery level precision on some parts of the course. And I just loved that. And the crowds were really good always at worlds. Um, and I've loved, I think for me, racing Zolder was a really big one. Um, I mean, it's super iconic to be racing on a formula one track, but it was like one of the races I remember watching on television and just like wanting to see it in person but it's weird because in some senses it's way more vast but then there are other parts where like like the iconic forest that you ride through is literally like only four feet wide it's as wide as you can see it's you're not just like riding through the woods it's Mm. very narrow so it's like funny to see some of these courses up close and realize like they're actually not what you think they are on tv but it's yeah it's still special to get to see just to get to see the differences Mm -hmm. waterloo yeah, I mean, Waterloo is pretty incredible for a lot of reasons. I mean, being a Trek athlete and racing at the Trek factory is, like, really, really, really special. But having a World Cup in the U.S. is incredible. But I think, I mean, Trek has put so much time, energy, and money into making it the best event of the year. And it's paid off because I think it really is, like, the crowds there are are insane. Like, I don't know how the numbers compare to Europe. I know it's not the same, but it feels like the same energy. Like everyone there has enough energy for two people in Europe. Like it's, it's a really, really, really good event. And yeah, having the mud makes it even better. Last year was made it like sloppy and different. How do you do that? So if you're going to be training down here to get Mm -hmm. prepped for that, how do you, I mean, do you instantly have that talent or that Mm. uh, ability for those types of courses with the terrain being different the mud and the snow even yeah i mean yeah i think like i'm a i'm a pretty good technical rider it's probably like my strength but i really 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 struggle in heavy mud but the thing that i've struggled with is like even in the northeast it's hard to practice like it's it's, not fun to either huh oh it's not even that it's just like it's kind of rude to like go out and like destroy your local trails or whatever. Like there are very few places that we can train in the rain Mm -hmm. and not just ruin everything. So it's like kind of hard to practice. Um, so yeah, (laughs) I don't know if like I'm at a huge disadvantage being down here. I think that I need to get creative in a sense, but on the other hand, I, I did, um, like a Red Bull high performance camp this oh October. I, so you are a Red Bull athlete. Too, yeah. Right? Do you know how many interviews I've had with you guys? Like this is, I asked Colin, I'm like, yeah. dude, get me to this place. Let me point out like what people should see is necessary to help. Yeah. Your not only, I think performance is best on top of a healthy foundation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but regardless, look at the, what people are doing here so yeah tell me more about that yeah so it was i'm trying to remember it was like it was maybe five days long we spent a few days at the high performance facility in santa monica at red bull and then after that we went out to um eric bostrom's house in uh temecula and we rode dirt bikes and cross bikes in the mud so he has like this repurposed water that he takes from the creek and he just puts it on his motocross track and makes it like super muddy and sketchy and inconsistent and we rode these dirt bikes that had a motocross front tire and then like a road rear tire so it was like really 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 sketchy and it was so cool uh 125 or yeah it was like a 120 it was like a kawasaki 125 or however it converts a two-stroke like or was it more of a four-stroke i'm pretty i think it was a two-stroke so i actually used to race dirt bikes but i never paid attention to my equipment so it doesn't help me talk about was it, it intelligently really at all. Or was it 
Yeah, it was pretty whiny. I think that um, it's a 125, a, a TTR 125, a two stroke or a four stroke. I wouldn't know. All right, so you're also not a, a derp. Okay. Well, either way, they were sick. It was incredible. And I mean, Eric is just he's so phenomenal it's unreal he's so nice and he's so skilled so getting to ride with him was crazy obviously he was going easy on me but um having that inconsistency with the rear wheel got me really comfortable with like kind of being out of my comfort zone and that's something I struggle with it's like I love racing in I love racing in the snow and ice because you have to be composed like it's so inconsistent that you can't like start doing anything sketchy but that's the thing I struggle with in the mud is you kind of have to like lose that composure. And so I've had a really hard time like breaking out of that comfort zone. So working on it with the dirt bikes was really big for me. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it helped, but that's unfortunately fine. I uh, haven't really gotten to put it to the test yet. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about the, the camp. Like what did you guys, did the five days, did you test there or were you yep. doing like... To me, I think it would be beneficial if people did. It doesn't matter if you went to VO2 max, but like the metabolic testing and see where your mm-hmm. energy stores are burning from and that. Um, I mean, whether it's bias or not, it's the biomechanics of how you're moving is important because if you're going to be pedaling 5,000 times an hour and mm-hmm. you're doing it imp- improperly, you're going to have an issue. Yeah. Like they were looking at all these things. Yeah, it was... what. Well, I- So one thing that that I really respect with Red Bull is like they kind of recognize that if you've made it that far, like you're doing something right. So they're not trying to come in and like burn it all down, reinvent the wheel. So they like they're really good. Like if I asked them to help me with whatever, like um, the the guy pair who runs it, he is who runs the high performance center. He is so amazing he's so smart but he's also just so great with people and so I feel like I could ask him to help me with anything and he would be able to do it but they are not trying like you said to reinvent the wheel so when I went there they weren't trying to do anything crazy with my bike fit but we also had my coach with me so when we were working on like riding in the mud we realized that I was having a hard time keeping my weight back and like waiting over the rear wheel so we slammed my saddle back just to see if it made a difference and then like we had to try to balance like having the saddle far back versus like how I'm pedaling. Right. And so like having my coach there to kind of like assist pair and Eric, we had like, like the perfect trifecta of knowledge in -hmm. in my opinion. So yeah, I think Red Bull is really, really respectful of their, like what they do and what they don't do in an athlete's life. Yeah. They'll probably like run you through a series of tests and, Mm -hmm. and, show you any like red marks and say yeah. hey, like this might be something you'd, yeah. you'd look for well and that's the cool thing is like they have a like really sophisticated gym and like testing facility there and they have um two they have several people that work there full-time but one of the guy's jobs tyler um i think like one of his main jobs there is just working with athletes in the gym and so like kind of no matter what you're doing, like what sport you're doing, what level you're doing it at, you need to have, like you said, a solid foundation. So getting athletes into the gym, I think has been like something really big that Red Bull's done that I think a lot of us may not have been doing quite as well before. I've been saying this forever, but yeah. like, I think I'm yeah. ahead of my time. With I mean, this, I like I grew up in the gym. So yeah. for me doing gym work was always like something kind of fun that like switched it up from cycling. But I think a lot of like, especially road racers, I'm not I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but yeah, like road racers don't really. Um... I think another thing that you may even look at, if I say this and you may see yourself a mm-hmm. little bit, is that there's a complete assumption, like when you did the gym work, that your squat movement was actually the way that your muscles should be contracting, like the, the sequence pattern. So you could perpetuate a quad dominance. Mm-hmm. Okay, And so then that's where... I think people need to put their ego aside and ask for help and say, hey, yeah. what are the cues? Because I think that's what a performance center would be is to say, all right, you've got this core routine of 10, 15 exercises mm-hmm. that you'll run through throughout the week. Um, let's see you do them. And then say, oh, you're getting stronger at uh, imbalance is mm-hmm. what's happening. So I think that's where yeah. let's transition to that a little bit to say you feel like you've had a little bit of an off year and you've been trying to figure out the pieces of the puzzle that's going to help come back together to go back to that foundation. So that's mm-hmm. also at a younger age, you saw the burnout mm-hmm. and it's like you're getting so fit. It's like me, I tell patients, you're putting a 
you're, you're adding horsepower to the engine and the foundation's not able to right. distribute it or even handle it, right? Mm-hmm. So what was some of the things that you've noticed that you feel like you're going to uh, address now from now on? Yeah, I think oh, that's a hard question. Um, well, I mean, like this last year, two years have been like incredibly hard, um, like physiologically, emotionally. So what do you think? Uh, well, so I think, so let me, I'll so let's try to empathize with you a little mm-hmm. bit, right? So I don't want this to be my story. I got hit by a driver. Yeah. I'm going to say a car because somebody was driving the car. Yeah, someone was driving the car, right. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, I, if you came into the office, whether that was the injury or if it was chronic imbalance and you've caused a problem and I'd mm-hmm. say, well, look at the damage. You've got this much of a timeline based on the tissue. And I say, you got to stop for six weeks. Mm-hmm. And I look at it and I say, damn, I better practice what I preach. But yeah. what if I can't get back to the level that I was at? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> what's my relationship to that as far as being at that high level? Yeah. I mean, can I, the discipline that I have to train every day, can I put the discipline to not train and let my body do its job? So so that's what I'm saying. I'll I'll say like, I understand. And that's why I wanted to reach out with you Mm -hmm. because when you put yourself at a place, especially with sponsors saying, I'm going to be at this level or above. So you guys can't support and you feel you're not hitting that or even the results show you're not. Then you figure, like, what the hell is my value here? Yeah, it's it's devastating to let people down. And I think what what you said, like, absolutely just hit the nail on the head. Like, you don't want it to be your story. And I think that's why, like, I have kept everything, like, really under wraps because I've said it before, but I thought that getting my diagnosis was going to be the finish line. And then I realized... (laughs) after all is said and done, it was actually just the starting line. And so I'm really glad that I've like kept things private up until now because I had so much more to work through than just getting a diagnosis. Um, but I feel like now I just don't want it to necessarily be my story. Like, well, my suggestion I think, is say it and be done with it. Yeah. Right? And, and because so otherwise that's, you get the, the, the person keeps getting the opportunity to learn the lesson over and over again. Absolutely. Just get it done. And yeah. It. And that, and that's where I'm at. So it's like, I, I like haven't really talked about it. And then I realized like, like literally just a few days ago, I was like, if I'm ever going to like move on and grow from this, I just have to get it over with. And like, the truth is, is it's, it's not like anything crazy. Like I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune hypothyroid issue. And it's just more about that hypo meaning it's underactive, underactive. And I think, you know, it's just like thyroids are so controversial. Anything going on with your body is controversial. Everyone, everyone is a doctor. Everyone thinks that they're a doctor. Everyone wants to be an expert on everything, like on endocrinology, on kinesiology, on whatever. So I've just not wanted that influx of people being like, oh, well, if you just cut out Brussels sprouts, like this wouldn't have happened. You know, like it's, I've been through it and I found out just how hard it was to actually feel like myself again and I realized like it was a lot harder than like drinking more water or like sleeping a little bit longer so to answer your question uh it like kind of works in two parts obviously I mean some people are going to know this I'm also not a doctor but um hypothyroid is a dis or like a a dysfunctional thyroid that like is underactive so there's something called hyperthyroid which is um an overactive thyroid. And everyone always says, oh, that's probably the good one, but it isn't because it all needs to come back to normal. Your thyroid should not be over or under. It just needs to be working. Um, but the complexity is that everyone's thyroid operates on a different, on a different range. So like there's like the clinical normal range, but then, you know, there's like for different ages, it gets more complex for different levels of activity. It gets more complex. And for me, we had no real way to compare because I've actually had, um, when I was like really, really young, I was actually diagnosed with hypothyroid, but I kind of ignored it. And then I remembered, I was like, oh my God, this has been actually an issue for my whole life. So we had no point of comparison with other blood values because I've had this issue my whole life. And so then the other layer is autoimmune, which is when your body attacks its own immune system. And that's where this actually gets like from a very nerdy, um, 
objective or um subjective objective Mm -hmm. (laughs) position it's really interesting because everyone wants to focus on why my 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 body is attacking my thyroid or on the fact that my thyroid is being attacked but you actually have to wonder why it was being attacked in the first place and so that's where the big solution came for me was i had to start doing my own research because one i ran out of money to be able to go to a doctor every time i had a question and two i don't always think that modern medicine is focusing on the holistic approach. So I've double checked everything I've ever done with someone, but I didn't have, I didn't have someone like a, you know, a whole team testing me. So I ended up finding out that it's really common for your body. If you have a gluten and dairy sensitivity to uh, try to attack those proteins and inadvertently attack your thyroid. And so I cut out gluten and I cut out dairy with my doctor's approval. And within 14 days, I started to feel better after almost a year of like physically being miserable. Mm-hmm. And then, so, and then they, they probably focus upon the microbiome and restoring that function, mm-hmm. right? So it just, I would say just really generally, like those proteins are crossing into the blood and they mm-hmm. typically wouldn't. Right. And so how did they and get so there? That's the, the question is like, what is allowing that to happen Mm -hmm. so you can stop them from coming across by not taking them in but there's Mm -hmm. also still that's addressing an aspect of Mm -hmm. it but yeah so that's i want you to say it all of those things but i definitely understand yeah much more than just taking out an irritant you also should see why the door is still open absolutely and i think you know it's been a really hard process and i think like so you zoom out like from the thyroid and find like a food allergy. And then like the next zoom out is like why those allergens are there in the first place. And so I think, yeah, like you said, like focusing on the gut microbiome and all of that. I think for me at the moment, like I wasn't able to do something like the AIP diet, which is the autoimmune paleo diet that would hopefully be able to be like a big gut reset because I'm just not at a, I wasn't at a point emotionally where I felt like it was going to be effective. Like all of that stuff is supposed to be like stress reduction. And I felt, I was like, okay, I have exactly four weeks to be able to do this in my off season. I'm also going to be moving across the country. I'm going to be starting literally like basically a new life in Arizona. And I need to like do this, that, and the other thing. And I just didn't feel like I could complete it all under like that really, really, really tight timeline. So I've decided, I've just been trying to do other things that promote really good gut health and try to avoid as many like inflammatory foods as possible. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's really overlooked. I mean, so this is very similarly when I said that you could have the intention of going to the gym and doing these exercises correctly. There's Mm -hmm. this complete assumption that a equals B. Similarly, mm-hmm. you could have a great set of meals planned, and there's this complete assumption that the body's actually digesting and absorbing and taking those things mm-hmm. up. And, and that's, I sort of plant that seeds with people. Mm-hmm. It's like, you've got to take care of those, all of those things, yeah. too. So, and then that, that's what happens. Like, yeah. you're performing at the highest level, and your body's needing those things, and it's, you only got so much energy metabolism to deal with stresses, yeah. mental, chemical, and physical. And mm-hmm. so if you're tapping it out physically, you better clean that stuff up. And if mm-hmm. it wasn't clean, then hello, you're going to get burnt out. Yeah, exactly. So and, I, I felt like I had, like the AIP diet felt like the 2% and I had so much work I could do on the 98. Like I've spent the last couple mm-hmm. weeks since I arrived here, like really just like getting organized, making like a true legitimate system. I've done a lot of meal prep that still involves like, you know, being gluten and dairy free, but I've like cooked up a lot of fruit food. I've frozen some meals, but just really focusing on cooking like whole foods that like, that really, like that are really just good and like nutrient dense and do what I need like after a ride and stuff. And I felt like that was as important as doing like this incredibly stressful diet. Like, I just don't think I'd be able to drive across the country and yeah. Mental stress Mm -hmm. devoted to the travel and the the move and then Mm -hmm. finding your way here and then take, take it in stride. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
Okay, so this year, okay. so my buddy Pat, Patty Cakes. Yes, Patty Cakes. Yeah, but so when we first started racing, I think it was 05, 06. Okay. In oh uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, we raced for Grand Performance. So Pat, Pat Lemieux. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you know Pat? Um, shout out Pat. Shout out to Pat. Uh, Pat is my manager. Um, he's also probably like, my like most frequently called person in my phone isn't he <laughs> oh my gosh yeah um i also yeah pat's like pat feels like a great friend too yeah he's my manager but he's I'm the best to find this video of him i think it was in 08 or 09 of him have you ever heard him giggle <laughs> i mean like i think i've made him laugh a couple of times on the phone and it gonna, feels well, i feel pretty proud but <laughs> i'll show you this but you'll see what yeah really like this all right been, like 12 years 13 years oh my ago gosh. great okay so pat yeah, so he's my he's my manager. We've been working together, I think, almost exactly one year because a year, like, just under a year ago, uh, I was staying with Phil Guyman, and he was like, "Hey, my friend Pat is trying to manage some athletes. I think you guys would be a great fit." So, um, it's been a, an amazing year working with him. Um, but uh, what was what was the question? Oh, because we're gonna get to here. Like, what are you gonna be doing? So, oh yeah. So, uh, I mean, obviously with. Uh, not not possible without Pat, but I'm actually going to be starting my own team. Are you doing a team? Is it like people or is it you? Are you like one of the, like what I just did with Colin and uh, Peter Stetna? Like, are you privateering kind of a thing and setting? Your own? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm privateer. Um, but I, I mean, it, it's still a team, right? Even if it's just me, or is it not team a team? Ellen? Team Ellen. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely. I'm trying to make like a like a truly legitimate team at the moment. It's a team of one so in a similar way that Jeremy brought you on. He had mm-hmm. to have the structure to do right. that. So he had like, he had like a legitimate like yeah, yeah. infrastructure for a team. And then, you know, obviously like you have to get the sponsors on board and stuff to add another rider. That's but what you're trying to do, but starting with you first, just me. Oh. Yeah. For a year, it's just me. Um, but yeah, I think I'd like to kind of, you know, iron out the kinks and then add someone be, else. Uh, almost focus entirely on cyclocross. Are you doing some other things as well? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited. The way that I've been describing the schedule is doing a collection of events this year, this spring and summer that lead to a really, really good preparation for the fall. So I'm targeting some cross country races, um, doing some I'm hoping to do at least a one road stage race maybe some criteriums which um, ones which roads road do you like well hey, you I have my what? we cross paths uh, how did you do in Stillwater uh, the year I won yeah, were you on year? the composite team I don't know what year uh, was that uh, 2016 maybe I didn't do it then but okay. I so you won a stage I did yeah you I won, won a stage of the North Star Grand Prix yeah mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> Well, I won it as a three. Oh, really? And then and my teammate and I went one, two, one year. Mm-hmm. It would have been 2012. Yeah, it it's freaking hard. I've done the North Star Grand Prix twice. I won one. I won the stage once and then I DNF'd the next. So I think it averages out to <laughs> two mediocre performances. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm hoping, I don't know. I mean, if North Star still existed, yeah, I would be, be all over that. But um I don't know. Colorado Classics, incredible what they're doing for Did you get to do women. That last no, I've never done it. Okay. So that would be a really good one. I mean, it's all kind of tentative. I think, like, usually, like, one event falls into place, like, you're confirmed, and then everything else builds yeah, out around it. Hear that, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, who knows? I know that gravel is like the hot topic right now, but I don't have any particular gravel races on my schedule. But I just. Well, you can come up north to Scottsdale. We'll do some gravel rides up there. Yeah. Yeah, I uh well, I mean it's hard where I where I lived in Massachusetts. It's like we don't have to like try to ride gravel. It's like you have to like try to avoid gravel sometimes. Mm. So everyone, I mean if like you want to ride gravel, go to the go to the go to Western Mass. But I would uh yeah, I'm just trying to I'm really trying to take advantage of this opportunity for creativity and do the events that either, you know, prepare me for cyclocross that, you know, I really want to do or like that have a big community opportunity, like big activation around like the area, like Tulsa is so involved in its community. And I, I love that race and I love how many spectators, spectators show up, but then also, you know, working with, with different sponsors that are in different areas, it's always really cool to get to like actually have FaceTime with your sponsors. So sure. yeah, just trying to, well, trying to be like exciting. I, I think I only follow you on Twitter. 
and you've got like a hold on a second you got like a a cute personality on there and you've got a good play with the the people following you and stuff it's it's pretty it's pretty cool i I haven't followed you on the other parts of it if you're gonna follow me on one i think twitter's 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 the place well you gotta have some fresh uh like a a bright light in there right so that's where my dogs is where it's where you're at otherwise yeah it's so negative there it's just uh so thank you for having a little bit of bright light in there um so what I'm hearing and seeing is that like you've got this personality, you've got this persona, and you're trying to make something of it because of um, having good connections with sponsors, but then also the background with the health. Um, what was it? Health. Public health. Public health. Yeah. It is. Okay. So the background with public health. Um, I just see like you having a really good opportunity to make a big difference in a lot of people's lives by continuing this so yeah thank you I I really appreciate that and I think that's like kind of been one of my objectives with the team is like I want to create something that people want to be a part of and if like in some way I just I feel like in in a lot of ways cycling is kind of inaccessible and like pro cycling can be inaccessible but I'd like to make the team like very approachable very supportable um you know like I think it was really interesting to watch one of my friends. I'm friends with Justin Williams and like just seeing how he talks, like his vision with Legion of, of LA and how much people have rallied around that team to like see a rider make their own program that like people believe in. And then like seeing how much it means for people to be able to support something is huge. Like, I mean, you look at how people, people wear their, their favorite football team or favorite basketball team's jerseys like it's their like it's their own uniform because like they just want to feel a part of something it's like I want to create a team that not just peripherally like I want people to really be able to like be involved and be accessible at races and try to just really I get a lot of joy out of it I know that it that people get a lot of joy out of interacting with riders as well so I just want to make a team that people can really can really yeah, get behind. I like, I like just be led, reaching out to people who are conscious and aware of that, mm-hmm. and, and not being so much about themselves and it more like a big picture. Yeah, thing. Yeah, like I've that. always, yeah, I've always wanted to like, you know, be able to do more, more like utilize the fact that we're at an event, like that we've flown all of our stuff all the way to wherever, and really like have the opportunity to meet people. Like SRAM is so good about having signings at big events like at nationals or at the world cups and you know you'll always you'll get like hundreds of kids come through the tent that day like every kid that's at the event shows up and it's just so cool like it just takes advantage of the fact that we're already there and like you get to meet these kids and you see them again later and you're like is that did i is that my signature on your phone or like on that hat mm-hmm. that you're wearing or whatever and like you know you just get to you that's get to cool. like hang out with now, these kids speaking of kids yeah. before we go you do a camp yeah i mean you sort of alluded to it but what are you is it just one camp yeah at the moment it's just okay. one um mountain bike is it or is it well so it's changed a little bit so the first two years was a cyclocross skills camp and we did it in the summer just like a summer camp where massachusetts Got it. so then year three we came to tucson and did in a base summer. camp no okay. march all right um, and we did a base camp in March when I was already here and we had road mountain and cyclocross from the U S and Canada. We were hoping to do that again for year two, but we had like some like really, really, we had a really hard time with dates, making it work in a time that people actually want to come to Tucson. So we've been kind of making preparations to do something mountain bike related in the summer in Massachusetts again. Mm. So it's, you know, it'd be nice to just be able to copy and paste every year and be like, okay, we're going to keep doing the same thing. But I think actually being dynamic and being able to do kind of like what, what the energy of the sport needs is really important and really good. So like for two years, like we needed resources being devoted to junior women on the cross bike to learn skills like that junior boys have been able to work on through, you know, like the Montana camp and stuff like that. But USA cycling is now getting so involved with their junior riders that there's actually a lot of development and a lot of opportunity for those riders elsewhere. So, you know, we started doing a base camp because that doesn't really exist, but now a lot of junior teams are doing training camps. So those resources are being put there. So, you know, just trying to kind of follow and like look for holes in the sport. Um, 
is I think kind of like maybe my so, so big vision for in, the quest. In, initially you said it's a skills camp. Mm-hmm. Like what else would you say you'd have uh, available for them? I mean, you basically just said it. You don't, you don't know it's going to be dependent. Are you going to mm-hmm. do anything with nutrition? Or have oh like yeah. It's, I mean, it's super comprehensive. Mm-hmm. So yep. we have three coaches. We have myself. Um, we have Molly Herford, who is a journalist and, she is also, she managed Aspire Racing for several years, um, and she's an author, so she's written about, she has a, like a young adult novel about getting girls on bikes. Um, she wrote Saddle Sore about like, she calls it lady parts, <laughs> lady part health. Um, and I mean, she's just all around, like she's an ultra endurance athlete and just like hyper organized. She's like the perfect fit. And then we also have her husband, Peter Glassford, who's our other who's our third coach and he's a kinesiologist. He has his own coaching company and he works a lot with juniors and they're both like so good with kids. All three of us, none of us have kids or really any experience with kids, but somehow we've all done really well working with these juniors. Um, and it's good cause they're the adults at the camp because I'm not much older than some of these, some of like the seniors <laughs> that are in school. So we, uh, yeah, we work on nutrition. We do, we do a lot of body work, like, yoga and strengthening just like trying to do stretching and core and just keeping girls like not just biking um getting them moving side to side Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh yeah like i said nutrition we we did a lot of mindfulness last year because it was playing a really big role in what i was doing and um meditation and gratitude we do sponsorship we talk a lot about school and homework (laughs) and like how to not just get through it but actually like be better for it so we really try to touch all the bases and the nice thing is it's like we have a very loose agenda but we go in with an open mind so like really whatever like the hot topic of that year is we're really able to focus on with the girls Mm -hmm. that's pretty sweet yeah it's it's amazing it's like one of the best weeks of my year every year Mm -hmm. um well are you gonna do what are you doing this weekend starting up from scratch yeah Unfortunately, like I'm just starting training and then I have to go to Colorado, uh, to go to an event with BOA, but, um, it's exciting. Like I said, I, I really like to get to hang out with my sponsors and mm-hmm. they have so been, who are you going to be working with then for, for this next year? Um, at the moment I can confirm that I'll be staying with Trek bikes, which is really exciting. Um, they, yeah, I mean, they're just incredible. So that was a really exciting position to I be in like with them. The big picture yeah, they do. And I mean like they're, they're supportive women. Like you said, big picture, like not just, it's not just about racing. Um, they're supportive women and juniors and just kind of everything, just like really, really trying to be involved in the sport and in all the ways. Um, of course, Pete and Jerry's my egg sponsor. Uh, they're, they're the best. And I don't know what I would do with, out the eggs. <laughs> Where are they? Uh, they're in Vermont. Okay. Yeah, Northern Vermont. Uh, oh, I can't remember exactly where, but yeah, they're they're up there. Um, maybe Lindenville. Okay. Um, and then you ever listen to um, Dax Shepard, the Armchair Expert podcast. No, okay. I don't. I don't really do podcasts. Okay. Well, I do. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he's got a, like a co-host. Okay. They, after the interview, they go and fact check. I need to fact check where Pete and Jerry Oh, is. I know, I, I know. I probably won't, but maybe yeah. I'll link to it or something. They're definitely in northern Vermont. I mean, I I literally like went to where they are uh, for uh, like a like a fun day with them last year, but now I'm forgetting. I'm already okay. losing my New England roots. Uh, and then, yeah, Red Bull oh, yeah, is confirmed. Yeah, so... Yeah, <laughs> really exciting. Because it's it, they're giving you the support to be you... Uh, personality, athlete, etc., and then they're giving you the space to do your own thing. They're not like guarding and f- saying you need to be doing A, B, and C, like in a world tour team or some of these other settings where mm-hmm. you're just in this cog in a wheel. Yeah, you get to be your own personality and and create and just be yourself for them. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like inexplicably excited about it. It's like it it really feels like the things that I've wanted to do for so long are finally happening. Um, it's pretty wild. I mean, I'm watching from a, a, a bird's eye view mm-hmm. like of a lot of how the money and support for this stuff is moving. And then you see these unique scenarios where there's this 
truly genuine individual kind of struggling is okay with sharing that experience, Mm -hmm. understands other people could learn from this, um, wants to be better, wants to not let the sponsor. And there's being support. I love it. And yeah. then there's some other stuff that's all pure narcissism and whatever, and there's also support there. And it's just like I really wish the person observing that could understand the difference here of what's happening and the focus should be less on what's being supported over here and more of what this genuine, you know, human experience is like over here. Yeah, I think like it's it's really amazing to watch the sport kind of continue to go in two different directions and like I feel like as my grandfather used to say, there's an ass for every seat and it's like, there's really, there's a team and situation for every type of rider. Like it's no longer, you know, like when it was exclusively like factory or world tour team kind of style, like it didn't always make sense. It was like a square peg round hole sort of thing. Um, you know, like if you're not, if you're not the kind of personality for that, like, I think like Payson McElvin is such a great example. He wasn't one of the two that you did with your podcast, but he was, yeah. Have you had him on? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I'm showing my ignorance with the podcast thing, but, um, you know, I think he's such a great example of like a talented athlete that just doesn't have the personality for a factory team. And it's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, especially if you're willing to, to put in the work and and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, And he just, there's absolutely. That's what we talked about was with that with him. So, yeah. And so I I feel like I feel very similarly. Like I just have a lot of things that I, that I want to do. And I think that this, this situation is really putting me, putting me in a place to do it. And I'm, I'm just really excited. I mean, I'm 24 I know. I feel so, I feel so old. I'm sorry. I know it's insensitive. I feel old. (laughs) It only gets worse. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm like really happy to be able to like, after like a year to two years of feeling like nothing was in control, like I had no control over my life or my destiny. I'm like, I started 2020 driving across country to like start a new life in a strange area with like, only a few friends <laughs> here and, you know, starting my own team. And it just feels like I'm really ready to like take my life back into my own hands and go. get started. Well, I'm excited <laughs> for you. So thank, thank you, you so much for taking yeah, the time. Thanks so much. Wish you the best. Thank okay. you.
Big shout out to Ellen Noble for sharing her story, sharing some personal stuff as well as some of the struggles. Not everybody likes to do that and is okay with it. And I really appreciate that she does share that with us here as well as online. Um, as she said, she's learned through others uh, mistakes or what they've shared. And so she sees the value in being open and honest about what's going on and you know, there was a time when she was a little bit quiet about it before she was feeling confident about having things under wraps. So I'm excited for her uh, year ahead and see how she's going to take this world by storm as a privateer. I also am stoked that there's companies that stick with somebody who's going through those struggles because they see the value in who that person is and what their story is and how they can connect with others. So Make sure in the description where you find this that you give her a follow, give her some, uh, give her some love. She does a good job at interacting with everybody and and making it a fun place. And um, I love what she's doing also with the camp for the younger crew, sharing her experiences and giving them um, some guidance for the future. So again, thanks, Ellen, and everybody who's listening on. Appreciate it, and we will catch you on the flip side.